within all of us. And he has a vision for your life. And he has a purpose. And he wants to see you begin to walk in that purpose. And I've spoken on that two times. So I'm taking a new direction this morning. But let's go to the Lord in prayer again. Amen. Let's, we're going to do something new. Can y'all say, let's do something new? Amen. Let's stand to our feet. And what I want you to do is place your hand on the shoulder of the person on your left and on your right. Amen. Let's go and lift each other up in prayer. God, we're so thankful for your presence here this morning. God, touch the person, hallelujah, on your right, on our right and on our left, that you would come and do it, Lord. That you'll come and work in this place. That, that every lie that has been spoken over them, that you would speak truth. God, with, with their, with their, uh, they are hopeless, that you will begin to speak hope over their life. Where there is no joy, that, you would find, that they would find joy, God, right now. Every word that is spoken this morning is yes and amen. I said every word that is spoken this morning is yes and amen, Father. That your word will not go forth and come back void. But this morning, your word will settle on good soil. I pray that, the, that your word will settle on the good soil this morning. It's going to settle on hungry hearts. It's going to settle on those who are desperate to see a move of God. God, that they're tired of status quo Christianity. That they're tired of status quo church. And they want something that looks like the, the book of Acts. And that they want something that looks like the New Testament. And they want something that looks like you, God. God, that, that we're... That they're tired of inauthentic Christianity. And God, we, we want you today. And we want you every day of our lives. Amen? Amen. Amen. Y'all go ahead and be seated. The Lord has been dealing. The Lord has been dealing with my spirit about this church and, and its pursuit to reach the next generation. You know, we're living in one of the darkest eras of our time, and it's a scary time. And we're struggling to connect with the next generation. We are. We keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a, a different result. And it ain't working. So I, I'm one of those people who, who, who believe that the only hope for this next generation, the only hope is to not entertain, but to pray and to pray and to pray that the Holy Spirit will come sweeping through their lives and they'll take them to the next level. And that we could be a shining example, a beacon of light with the Lord dwelling on the inside of us. That we'll be able to connect with those in the next generation. Amen? So that's my prayer for all of us. That the word of God, sharper than a two-edged sword, will pierce our hearts this morning. Did you come with ears to hear? Did you come with ears to hear what the Lord has to say to you? Are you in a posture to receive what the Holy Spirit wants to do this morning? Think about it. <laughs> For those of you who may not know me, uh, my name is Wes Atkinson, and this is my lovely wife, Morgan. Uh, my two daughters, Nora and Greer, they're the ones worshiping here down at the bottom. I just love seeing them. They, they bless me every Sunday morning when they come in. And if, for them, they're an example for me. If I feel like I'm, I'm just kind of uh, 
going through the motions. Amen. Do we sometimes go through the motions? Sometimes. And I see them come and they are worshiping with their whole heart. And it's just, it's just such a blessing to me. And it's such a, a shining example of what it means to worship with your whole heart. Amen. And so I'm from uh, a little, I guess, uh, right outside of Chicago, Illinois. I was born there and I lived there for the first 10 years of my life. And, uh, you know, Chicago, I lived there in the 90s. So during that time, it was a really big, uh, I was a really big NBA fan. It actually used to be a little dream of mine that I would be an NBA basketball star. And I knew, why are you guys laughing? Y'all didn't see, you don't even know how I play. I'm a little hurt, but I'm not, I'm not quite tall enough. But I could shoot the ball from half court and make it every time. Maybe not every time. But the one thing that I remember growing up, um, whenever I go back and visit the Midwest, you would think that it would be, you know, some of the, the, the memories growing up and, and playing with friends and connecting uh, in the neighborhood. And those things I do remember, but I've been back two or three times. And the one thing that I cherish the most, the one memory that's going to floor you, is the grass. The grass is so green. It's like this dark hunter green grass. It's just, it's just a richness of color that you don't see here in South Carolina. It's probably because the soil is a little bit better there. No offense. But it, just, it was amazing. Every time I go back and I'm, I look at that grass and say, wow, look at God working in the grass. It's so green. And something about the texture of the grass, it is so soft that when you just want to lay down in it. And so when we think about picnics here in, in the South, you know, we think of a picnic, we're going to have a picnic. It's to go find a picnic shelter at a park and eat at a picnic table. You don't necessarily want to lay down in the grass because it's sharp and hard here. But there you get to lay down in this grass and the fireflies are coming up. And there's something just so awesome um, whenever I get the chance to go back and experience that grass. In our backyard growing up, uh, we had a, a variety of different trees. So one of the, uh, the trees was a weeping willow. And do you guys know what a weeping willow tree is? Amen. So the, the, the branches on a weeping willow are so flexible that they just kind of hang down straight. Right? So they have li little leaves on it. And growing up, you know, with, I had two brothers. So we would take those and we would do different things with them. I'm going to give you the violent side and I'm going to give you the good side. But we would take the, the branches and strip all the leaves off and like whip each other with it. That's, I mean, growing up with boys, that's what you do. But there was something really cool about the trees too that you could, you could tie knots in them and you can make things out of the, the weeping willows. I, I use my imagination a lot with that particular tree. And in the other corner, there was like a grove of, I believe it was a, a, you know, a circle of cedar trees in the corner. And they, they stretch up all the way, you know, very, very tall trees, but they were circled and positioned in a way that I could crawl underneath them and stand in the middle and just be surrounded by trees. So it's just kind of a really cool fort, you know, as you, your imagination as a child, you know, it's like, oh, I'm surrounded, you know, the, the trees are up there. I'm, I'm getting somewhere with this. And then also in the back on the opposite side, do you guys know what a trembling giant tree is? Okay, the trembling giant tree is a really skinny tree and it has white bark. And they usually grow in a, in a grove, so in our backyard, and the branches started a little higher. So as a kid, you could run through you know, and weave in and out of these, these, uh, these trees. It just, the yard was just 
so awesome. And I think that, that starting at a young age, that's kind of where I started developing my imagination. And that's important to know. And, and uh, even when I uh, started shooting video um, for weddings and such, they were, I had such fascination with the trees and how they would move throughout the space. Um, and there was something that I, I think the Lord had planted something inside of me at an early age. Um, and I just cherish those, those memories. So in preparing for this message this morning, I said, God, what do you want this church and these people to hear this morning? What message do you have for us? And he gave me two things. And I said, Lord, are you sure? Because the first one was dreams. And then the second topic was discipleship. And when I say those two words, especially with dreams, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I can't tell people my dreams because I'm afraid that somebody will think I'm a little crazy. Does anyone else hear me on that? It's like you're, you want to share a dream that you had, but especially when you're around the, um, the men and women of God, sometimes it's like, well, I don't want them to kind of to think a certain way about me. So I had a little bit of reluctancy to talk about dreams this morning, especially this being my third time up here, to talk about dreams. But, you know, dreams, they're important to have. And I, I believe that this message this morning is to empower and equip us to be able to share our dreams that the Lord has given us with believers around us so that we can begin to use our gifts and in interpretation. Amen? And also thinking about discipleship, you know, uh, that's something that's oftentimes debated within the church. What does discipleship mean? Uh, it doesn't mean that we are, you know, just examples, you know, as we grow in Christ, are we a light for others that they can look at us and marvel and kind of say, okay, he's with Jesus Christ and, and I want that. So, and then the Holy Spirit guides and directs and does the discipleship. There's that side of things. Or is there something that's systematic that's in place where people are learning and growing together in a more structured environment? And this debate to me seems unnecessary because I think, why not both? Why does it have to be one or the other? Why can't we come together as men and women of God and, and build one another up with purpose and begin to partner with the Holy Spirit and with God to begin to develop and grow the kingdom of God? Amen? So I just wanted to talk a little bit about that. I'm gonna, I have a lot to cover, so I'm going to get through it as quickly as I can. But at the same time, I want to be obedient to what God wants to say this morning. Amen? Okay, so the reality is when we're talking about vision, you know, we're here today in this building because somebody had a dream and somebody had a vision to plant a church here in Florence, South Carolina. And it started in downtown Florence, South Carolina, and then somebody else had a dream to bring it on over to where we are currently at. And so we need to honor the, the, the ability to, to equip people to have dreams and have vision. Amen? Is anybody with me? All right. And I don't know about you, but, but me personally, I'm a dream guy. I'm an idea man. You know, I love good ideas, and when I hear a good idea, I, I get an adrenaline lunch, uh, rush. Like something just works inside of me. I get so excited, and I get fired up when somebody is able to come to me and is able to share a dream that the Lord has placed on them and said, this is what I want to do. Because that takes a lot of courage, and it takes a lot of strength to open up and tell somebody uh, what, they're, what they see for the future. 
So I love hearing good ideas. And actually, if I could just have a job where, where uh, uh, you know, people could come to me and just tell me good ideas and we say, all right, let's make this happen, I would love that job. It just, it's, it, to me, I just, there's nothing that gives me more of an adrenaline rush than uh, working together as a body of people. So when I hear from pastors who are willing to try a new methodology in the church to reach the lost, or when they want to do something fresh and new, I get fired up. I get excited about it, and there's a rush inside of me, thinking about the future and what, what we could do and what, what God could do. I love it. But I also understand that for some of us in the room, that uh, dreaming is difficult, and dreaming is challenging because, because once uh, you had a dream and, um, and you tried to, to step into that dream and somewhere along the line, life kicked you in the face and you began to retreat from that dream that God has given you. Because you stepped into the, to the dreams that you thought God had for you and you took that step of faith, you took that leap of faith and you were wounded along the journey and it was painful. And so I recognize that some of us in the room uh, when, I, when I say we're, we're talking about dreams and, and, and visions, you're like, yes, that's going to be awesome. But then there are some of you that are like, no, I don't want to talk about dreams and visions because I've been there before and it didn't work out too great. And so what I understand is this. Transformation never happens without vision. Transformation or growth will never, never happen in our lives, in any of our lives, in our churches or our communities, if we first do not have a dream or vision of what's to come. Because we won't go through the pain of transformation if we don't have a vision. Amen? So let's open up to Proverbs 29:18. Y'all may know it, and you could probably say it with me. Where there is no vision, the people perish. So perish is a terrible word. And we see it uh, attached to all these different scripture passages in the Bible. And this verse is saying that if we stop dreaming, if we stop imagining, if we stop thinking about what God could do or what's possible, the people are writing their own death certificates and setting themselves up to perish. So I want to first talk about how we dream because I believe this. I believe that, that we want to dream corporately, but... We, you know, we also want to dream as a church family and Gospel Temple Worship Center. You know, we want to dream of what's to come. We keep hearing the best is yet to come. So we, get, we need to begin to dream corporately of what that might look like as a church. Amen? So we're stepping into this new season of church, and we want to dream together. But we also want to dream about our families. I love my little family. Um, and, you know, Nora and Greer, I've said it once, I've said it a million times, I'll come home from work, and uh, they'll say, even before I open the door, they hear the, the knob turning, uh, they'll say, I'll hear Nora saying, Daddy home, Daddy home, Daddy home, Daddy home. That's right, and I hear the excitement uh, and the anticipation of, uh, of me coming in, and when I walk in, everything that, that had happened before or previously, I walk into into the house, and it just is wiped clean just by their pure excitement. And I just love them to death. But I have a vision for their lives. And I have a, a vision of how we plan to, you know, disciple these young girls and have them step into their vision and their purpose for their lives. I just love them to death. I also think about, you know, 
later on down, down the road, you know, maybe 5, 10, 15 years, what does it look like? You know, to, to, what, what type of father am I going to be to these girls? And it's a, it's a huge task, um, but I just love it, and I just love to be able to dream over and have vision for what type of family we're going to be uh, and, 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 and bringing uh, Christ as the, as the cornerstone of our household. So, so I'm dreaming corporately of what could happen, but I'm also dreaming individually. And here's the challenge for us as we dream. You know, in America, a lot of ways that we lead the church has been adopted from American business principles. So a, a few months ago, the, um, the Holy Spirit placed on my heart this, this vision of, of, of what's happening in our culture and our society today. See, for a lot of times, there, there, there's been this um, top-down structure where, you know, even if you, if you think about information, we're in this information age where there's this abundance of information. But there was a time not too long ago where, you know, you had two or three or four networks that would control the message. So everyone, you know, took time to actually find the truth and get down to it. You guys know, and I don't need to, you know, tell you about this because we're living it right now. But there's this structure that's happening that has happened like this. But the Lord has, has shown me that now the information age is beginning to widen. And so we're being inundated with all these different messages that are happening across the board. And we're trying to consume, and the individual is trying to discern what is truth and what is not. And so what is happening, too, is we're not getting a good foundation and a depth of knowledge. And it's happening even in our churches. Like, we come to church, and we're, we're scheduling time. But, you know, th there, there isn't much depth in our personal Monday through Saturday, you know, walk with the Lord. A lot of times we struggle with that. We'll get the sprinkles, but we won't get the cake. But there, there are people here in this house that have spent time in the word and in prayer, and they have prayer rooms, and they're worshiping. And we need to, to look at, at those people as examples. And so that there, I just believe that the Holy Spirit is going to, we're on the verge of a revival that we have never seen before because there's going to be a hunger and a cry out for depth. We've been on this, on this plane, this widening plane for so long that there's going to be, you know, even our, our churches are experiencing, there's going to be a move of God that, that's going to, to allow us to press in and people are going to have a void and they're going to come to the church to get filled. And so with this wave, this new wave that's going to come in is, you know, for the longest time there was narrow and depth. But now it's wide. But it's not going to shrink back to this narrowness. It's going to be wider than it was before. So we have to be able to expand this way and expand this way simultaneously. What does that look like? It cross. And so let's open up. This is just the lens I want us to, um, to look at today. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. There's not going to be a whole lot of shouting this morning. I'm, gonna, I'm talking real. Amen? So 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We've been hearing this week after the week Brother Dexter and Pastor Tim, 
they've been preaching on, on, on faith and how we're, we're citizens and how we're a family together in the kingdom of God. And how many are thankful that we're no longer foreigners or strangers? Amen. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And we'll get back to that here in a little bit. But I love this image, imagery here, this progression. It's not a top-down structure that we're familiar with. It's actually a bottom-up structure that Jesus is literally at the bottom of us, and he's the chief cornerstone set in the ground. And on top of that, the apostles and prophets lay a foundation and then the church and, and the body of Christ, we're being built up together, not individually, but we're, we're being built up and fitted together. Verse 21, in whom the whole building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. 22, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So we're being built up for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. So one of the things we often talk about around here is the Holy Spirit. And there's a dimension of the Holy Spirit that can only be experienced by a company of believers. And not just you as an individual. And that's why we come together. God actually wants to encounter us. If you study scriptures thoroughly from the beginning, from day one, until the very end, God is way more eager to be among his people than we are to be among each other. We read book after book in the Bible, and from day one, behind the scenes, God's passion is to be among his people. And if you ever question if God wants to be among us or in you or around you, never question his eagerness. Because it has been proven time and time again throughout scripture uh, and throughout the lives of the people sitting next to you. So in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place. And so the way that we dream and the way that we vision and the way that we think about the future has been adopted from the way we run our businesses in the past. Which is about control and I want to control the outcomes. And because I want to control the outcomes... We come up with these arbitrary goals and we leap in toward these goals and sometimes we write them on the walls and we lean into these goals and, and I just want to give us a new imagination for, for how we dream individually and how we dream corporately. And so um, I want to get back to this uh, illustration of, of the tree. And so uh, when I was thinking about the, you know preparing for this word, I... I started uh, seeing uh, time and time again this illustration of a tree throughout the Bible. There's different types of trees, and Jesus uh, speaks, you know, talks about the kingdom of God and how it can be re related to, to a tree. So when I was trying to come up with, you know, Holy Spirit, how do I present this? I was like, do I, do I go with talking about the fruit or do I go with talking about the root? Where do I start? And, you know, initially I thought that it was going to be, let's talk about the fruit and we can look at, you know, the, the fruit of our labor and we can look at the, the, the fruit of the spirit and, and, and our purpose within the, the context of the body. Um, and I was like, but I feel like we need to get down to the root of it. I was like, Lord, is that where you want me to start? He said, almost. What I want you to do is take a step back and say, what type of tree 
What type of grove do we want to be as a church? Because different trees produce different results. And inside different soil, you're going to have different trees that will thrive or die in the soil. So that's why we're talking about vision this morning. So before I dive into discipleship, let's look at uh, seven things about dreaming and visioning, and then we'll jump into the next section. So number one, vision always begins with God's revelation. This is huge, and if there's nothing else that you get from this particular section on vision, vision always begins with God's revelation. If we want to dream, all of our dreaming begins with listening to God. Amen? It starts with a humble posture of hearing what God has and what he's called us to be and what's next for us. And it's receiving that revelation. And all throughout scripture, what we see is that Revelation always follows the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but the revelation comes first. So we start with the posture of listening to God and discerning where he is leading us, figuring out where he is asking us to go. Because we want to learn to do, what we want to learn to do is walk with the Spirit every day of our lives. Number two, vision is not just what we see, but it's how we see it's not just what we're doing, but it's how we're doing it. Amen? Sometimes the journey is more important than the destination. What begins to happen when God births dreams and visions in our hearts and in our community is as we follow into those dreams, the person who is most likely transformed is us. A lot of times uh, in my life, I felt that, that, that God gave me a, a vision and it's going to have this great impact on a lot of people and it's going to affect and, and, and bring a lot of people uh, to God and what he has for them. But a lot of times, you know what? What ends up happening at the end of the day, I step into that. The only people that are really impacted was the Atkinson family. And that's great because that was the intent that God had for that uh, particular dream and vision. Amen? Because that's because it's who we are and who we become along the way. Our job as men and women in the church is not to do the work of God, but it's to learn to work with God and to partner with him. Our tendency is to run ahead of him or lag behind. And, uh, and what I had to learn is to, is to walk in step with the Holy Spirit and not to get too far, like not to get ahead, but to be able to listen and obey, to hear and respond. But the listening part is a vital portion of that. He accepts, or he invites, and I accept. So number three, vision includes everybody, not just the chosen few. Now, I think that sometimes what happens with vision and dreaming is it becomes similar to, to watching a, a, an NBA basketball game. Uh, when you live in a city like I grew up in in Chicago, especially during the 90s, um, you have this good team, and, and you're in the city where thousands of people are coming to the games, and all these people come to watch that NBA game, and, and they watch 10 people on the court showing their gifts. In a lot of ways, that's what the church looks like on Sundays. And, and there's a bunch of people showing up, and there's a bunch of people hanging out, and everybody's watching uh, the people uh, play the, the keyboard or watch Wesley DeBerry uh, do an incredible job on drums 
or like look at Wesley and say, wow, how do you grow your hair out like that? But there's a lot of people watching all the gifts that are being displayed, but, and, and they're saying, man, I wish I could do that. I wish I could do that. And that's what, you're, that's what they're saying uh, when they come into church. But instead, all of us should be living out our gifts in our everyday life. So the picture of the church is not that there's one CEO model leader who hears from God and a bunch of people who follow. We're a community of hearers, community of listeners, community of dreamers, and we're a family of these listeners who are listening together and discerning what God has for us and stepping into that. And what, what I want to see happen inside of this church, inside Gospel Temple Worship Center, is that we look at each other and we understand that the priesthood of all believers, which says every single one of us has a dream, and it's a kingdom dream, and it's a God-sized dream, and it's a vision that can transform you and it can transform all the world around us. And all of us have been given that, and as the church you know, what does it look like to come alongside and equip you? As a church, how can, we, how can we build up one another and empower one another so that when we do have a vision that, that we can foster an environment where people are collaborating together and hearing and listening and discerning together as a unit to build up one another and to advance the kingdom of God. Amen? Because we can't do this alone. We need each other. If we lead one way... We bottleneck everything at the leader. And if we lead another way, we are multipliable and we cannot be stopped. Does that make sense? It's not just for the chosen few. When we dream about who we're becoming, it's for all of us. So number four, vision requires conviction. It's going to cost you something. It's going to hurt. And there's going to be pain. I've heard it said that the first one who walks through the door always gets bloody. And we need more people in the kingdom who are willing to be the first one who walk through the door. We need that tenacity. And when God gives us a kingdom dream, it's, off, it's oftentimes to take kingdom ground. And that's ground that hasn't been taken. So there's going to be a fight. And there's going to be a battle. And we celebrate the, the wrong things in the church. We celebrate what's, what's big and what's going great, and we don't celebrate the guy who's been faithfully plowing the years without recognition and serving and being obedient to God in every walk of their life. And they've been doing this for years. Or the pastor that's been pastoring a group of 10 people and giving his whole heart to that ministry, we don't celebrate that as a church. And he's doing a remarkable job. And we need to understand this and hear me. Just because it's hard doesn't mean that God's not in it. And just because it's easy doesn't mean that he is. And there are seasons where God calls us into really, really difficult things. And, and we, we can't be a pain-sensitive people. And we can't, you know, be a, so sensitive that, that when things get hard, we shrink back and, and we hesitate. We need faithful presence, and we need faithful leaders who will keep going and keep stepping into this. Five, vision gives us direction. It shows us where to go. It shows us what's next. When I don't know where to turn, I look back on the dreams that God has given me. Amen? Who is the person he's called me to be in? And not just what am I doing in the next six months or the next five years, but 
It directs my daily steps today. Number six, vision calls for imagination. This focuses on context. You see, what's happening here at GTWC is different than what's happening in Lake City, and it looks different from what's happening in Darlington, and it looks different than what's happening in Columbia. But the truth of the Word of God stays the same. The methodology may look different because we will pursue different ways to reach people within our context, to love people, and to serve people. That will look differently, and to bless people, and to care for people, but the Word of God never changes. And lastly, vision is done individually and corporately. So here are the questions that we often ask. If vision starts by revelation, what happens when God is silent? What do, what do I do when, I, when I've been praying about what's next? And I've been praying about what, what I'm supposed to do and you know, once, once I graduate school. I've been praying about which job I'm supposed to take. And God has been silent. Let's open up to 1 Samuel 3.1. I'm going to be reading from the Amplified uh, Version. But this is just a beautiful story, an example of discipleship. Amen. So here's a story about Samuel and Eli. This is a story about listening to God. And I believe this is one of the greatest pictures that we have in the Bible. And I believe discipleship is training others to hear from God and then learning how to obey and respond to what he said. Now the boy Samuel, it'll look a little different than what's on the screen, but in the Amplified it says, Now the boy Samuel was attending to the service of the Lord under the supervision of Eli. The word of the Lord was rare and precious in those days. Visions, that is, new revelations of divine truth, were not widespread. So what did Proverbs 29 say? Without vision, what happens? So what we see happening here is a generation of people who are not being discipled. What happens here is that there has been a death of prophets. There were leaders, there were leaders who, who were able to discern what's next, who were able to walk beside and lead and help people discern God's dreams and visions for their life, but they passed away. Then what we see is, uh, is a level of disobedience. What, you know, God had spoken. God had said, said, this is what I want you to do. And, and, and the people looked, looked him right in the eyes and said no. There was direct disobedience to God's commands. So because of this, the word of the Lord was rare. So what God's people needed was they needed leaders who could hear from him and interpret what's next. But what they needed even before that was somebody to train people to do that. So sometimes what our vision is, we come into church on a Sunday morning and we say, I just need a word from the Lord. I just need to get another word. And here's the truth. Our hope is that we don't get a word, is that we become a word. Right? That we become a word. It's like we become, as Jesus did, the word made flesh. And we put flesh on the bones of the visions and dreams that, that God has for us for our everyday life. And so we become the vision and we become the dreams and we become the people who walk beside others and say, there is a dream out there. There's a brighter future out there and there's a better tomorrow. And so what we're in desperate need of is this. Guys, when, when I was beginning 
to, to walk in my renewed relationship with the Lord, I was hungry for an Eli. I desperately needed somebody to come up alongside of me and say, this is what's next. And I needed someone to walk beside me and encourage me and, and, and call me out and teach me the ways of, of being a follower of Christ. And we have to become a people who do that. Who step in and walk beside one another and encourage us. So what does this picture of discipleship look like? Let's open up to Psalm 78, 5 through 7. I'm going to be reading through the King, uh, New King James Version. For he established a testimony in Jacob. Actually, before we get rolling into the rest of this, um, this is another example of what discipleship looks like and what we are called to do as a body of believers. Uh, so here he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a new law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the children to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare to them, to their children, uh, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. So there's this beautiful picture of, of sharing stories with one another, building up and, and, and showing people how to listen and discern you know, what is truth and what is not. But there's this generational thing that's happening where the next generation is speaking into the, to the lives of the next generation. And they're talking to them about the law and, and how it should be placed on your heart and how we should be a beacon of light and how we should love God and, and the, the crucifixion and the resurrection. How, how can we disciple each other better? And this is the, the, um, the context of which we're going to look at the rest of this message. And so I began looking at what this looks like, and, and time after time you see all these illustrations of the tree. So there's the structure of the fruit trees. So different fruit trees produce roots of different structures and behaviors. The fig tree, for example, features a voracious or eager, just like the eagerness of, of God, features an eager root system that will expand far beyond the tree's crown in its search for water and nutrients. As fruit trees become more established, they will create a latticework of roots as intricate as the branches that grow above ground. And so what I want to do is, is uh, this is about the fig trees. There's a different fig tree, and we're going to watch a video here really quick. And this uh, is in the Magalaya Valley within India. And the trees that are, that are um, it's... And, It'll explain. I'll probably do a lot better job than I'm going to do with it. But there, uh, the fig trees that are on the bank of these rivers um, are a type of fig tree. And so this, is the, this type of fig tree, the root system grows on the outside of it. So go ahead and cue up this video. It's going to take a few minutes, so just bear with us. And if actually we can cut the lights on the, the two outsides so they can see it better, that would be awesome. Go ahead and pull it up. Northeast India, a giant cliff leads up into a hidden world, Meghalaya. Nearly two kilometers high and buffeted by monsoon storm clouds, this is possibly the wettest place on earth. 
Once, 25 meters of rain fell here in a year, the world record. Living here poses an unusual problem, and it's not just keeping dry. Nearly all the rain falls during the summer monsoon. Rivers switch from gentle streams to raging torrents. They become wild and unpredictable and almost impossible to cross. Harley and his niece, Juliana, are busy cultivating a cunning solution. Thirty years ago, Harley planted this strangler fig on the river's edge, and today he's teaching Juliana how to care for it. The figs tangle roots help to prevent the bank being washed away. He teaches Juliana to coax the roots across what is now just a stream. When they reach the other side, they'll take hold there. This is the basis of a structure that will survive any deluge a living bridge. It's an epic project that no man can complete in one lifetime. So Harley is passing on his knowledge to Juliana. Each year, Juliana will need to tend the roots, making them stronger. If she stays and completes her bridge, it will become part of the commuter route here. A network of dozens of living bridges that connect the valleys of Megalaya. Some of them are many centuries old. There are even double-deckers. With Juliana to look after it, the future of this young bridge looks secure. Sustainable living architecture that will live and grow for generations. One of the very few examples in the world where humans have come up with a successful and natural solution. A way of working with nature 
to overcome the problems a wild river can cause. Okay. Let's go ahead and pull up 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5. Before we uh, get into that, I just want to talk a little bit about the living bridge. Um, and then we're going to talk about the living stone. Um, so what was really cool about this particular video uh, demonstration is that you have uh, these living bridges, these raging waters. And the reason why that they're building this, this bridge is they couldn't make it man-made with man-made structure, right? They had to take the root system, the root, in order to build and, and craft this bridge, this living bridge that could withstand all of the, the rushing waters and the storms that are coming through. And so when we begin to look at the church and we begin to look at our lives and, and our discipleship, how can we become more like a living bridge, a network of bridges that can connect to the next generation, that can be sustainable for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years after we leave? And so in 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5, it says, coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So the living stone, that's something that when I looked up, I was like, what, is, what does it mean to be a living stone? And Christ is a living stone. And so I looked up, does anyone know what the living stone is? Brilliant. Okay, so the living stone is an actual plant. And this plant lives in the context of a dry, dry ground. Um, and it looks like a stone. And so this, it grows in the, in, it's just so that it's not eaten. It's grown into this, the context of where pebbles and everything are uh, around. I wish I had a picture. I'd show it to you. But um, what I see, or what the Lord showed me through my study of the living stone was if the builders who are man-made are going around looking for stones to build a building that's made with man, the hands of man, they're going to pick up the rocks around it. And if they pick up a living stone, they're going to realize that it's a plant, and they're going to reject that stone from building it into their structure. And so what the Holy Spirit gave me, and uh, the living stone, what, what happens is in the center of this plant, the root goes down so far because it's looking for nutrients. And so this firm foundation, this root is going down so far within this plant. I don't know. I'm not saying it like, a, like the Lord showed it to me. But Jesus is our foundation. And he is our cornerstone. And when we begin to look at the church, we, get, we have to begin to look at it not as an organization, but as an organism that's living and breathing and it has a heartbeat and it's living within the environment. And we're, we're using the root of, uh, of this, uh, this, the eager root system to, to build up one another and to work in this kingdom of God. It's a living, breathing temple. It's not something that's going to be destroyed or crumbled. It's something that's going to live as long as we nurture it. Amen? Amen. So the living stone is something that is alive. And it's going to be rejected by men. 
It's going to be rejected by the builders. But it's not going to be rejected by the kingdom of God. Amen. So let's go looking back at Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. Therefore, you're no longer strangers. You're, you're a part of this fellowship, this family. And having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, the living stone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a whole holy temple in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. So uh, in conclusion, I'm going to share two more things with you. But there is, a, let's bring up the diagram of how we kind of view God and the structure that we have God in within our lives. So there's this top-down structure which talks about God being first. No matter what, God's going to be first. And then the family. And then work. And then friends and recreation. Your list may look different, but it, it goes on and goes, goes forth. But what if God was the center of it all? So let's pull that up. What if what if your walk looked like this and everything was connected to it? And now you're beginning to breathe. Everything that you may have put as number six and number seven is still connected to God, but he lives in the center of it all. And it's just like the church too. Like God should be the center of the church. And everything that we're doing is connected to it. Amen? So Acts 2, 42 through 47 and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, teaching, and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and so many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and their goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So uh, beyond the city limits of San Francisco exists a land of giants. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet. Redwood trees so tall that if they were to lay down on a football field length bed, their feet would hang off the edge another 10 feet. Tree trunks so wide that a school bus could hide behind it and you couldn't see it. In the Armstrong Redwoods National Reserve, there's even a tree that is estimated to have lived 1,400 years. While so many are amazed by these ancient trees as they extend skyward toward the heavens. What is even more awe-inspiring is how they have extended underground. It is the root system of these ancient redwood trees that has enabled them to stand strong against threatening winds and violent storms that could rip them from their foundation. Yet their roots do not extend vertically deep into the ground. Surprisingly, the redwood tree only goes no more than about 12 feet below ground, hardly enough to sustain a 300-feet-tall tree through the centuries of destructive weather. So how is it possible that redwoods have survived in this area, enabling countless people to stand and wonder with eyes toward the heavens, to take in the immensity of these creatures, the tallest living thing on this planet? The answer can be summed up in one word, and it's community. 
Amazingly, these ancient redwoods have underground roots that extend outwards of 150 feet, interlocking with the root system of other redwoods in the grove. So at the feet of the onlookers, these giants hold one another up in a community of interwoven roots. Because of this, their stability and strength is multiplied as their foundation becomes larger than their height. Amen? They have been able to grow large and strong because they have done it together. And the only way that we can endure the storms of life and thrive as God intended us to do is through our fellow believers. Look to the neighbor to your left and the neighbor to your right. It's through them. Our spiritual roots must extend, not just deep, but wide. Spread among the lives of those around us, just as there is no redwood tree that has endured for centuries without help of the other redwood trees. There's no such thing as a disciple who thrives without a community of other disciples. Amen. So we're going to do something a little different today. We're going to play some music in the back. And what I want us to do is I want us to turn to our neighbors. And I want us to begin to pray and speak life into one another. So go ahead and start looking at the people around you. Go ahead and circle up, spread across this sanctuary this morning. People have needs. People have visions and dreams. And begin to speak life and pray over one another. And for some of you, this is going to be a little uncomfortable. But let's begin to speak life and pray over one another. As living stones. Spirit. 